Welcome to the Flowcast, a podcast from Demand Driven Technologies, where we chat with industry leaders about how to build more responsive and reliable supply chains. I'm Leah Hoffman, and I'm here today with Juan Abud of Stem Cell Technologies. Welcome, Juan. And can you say a few words about yourself and your role at the company? So my name is Juan Abud. I work for Stem Cell Technologies. I'm a senior business architect for Demand Driven Operations, and my focus is on finding opportunities for optimization in supply chain, helping us be more adaptive, more resilient, and better serve our customers. So can you tell me a little bit about stem cell and what you guys do? I understand your niche in life science industry is with um, cell culture media, cell separation products. The mission and focus of the company is in providing reagents for experimentations in the life science space, mainly Mm -hmm. around uh, cancer research. So we have a variety of product lines that support the different uh, research workflows from our customers. So there's a cell separation product line, there's a media and cell culture product line, there's an instrumentation product line, there's education offerings, there's uh, fresh tissue, fresh cells uh, offerings as well, antibodies, right? So we're sort of, sort of the foundational level of the life sciences industry. So let's set the stage and talk about why your supply chain is difficult from a materials planning perspective. You've got long lead times, I imagine, um, raw materials that are pretty complex. Yeah, I think some of the things that make our supply chain slightly different than our industries that I've been on is one of them is we have deep bills of materials with cumulative lead times that can be very long. And there are certain levels of biological variability in many of the components that add uncertainty to the supply. So even when you get the material, it may not work as expected. So having a really good understanding of where you have risk to continuity of supply and developing strategies to manage against it and basically make your investments in your supply chain as efficient as possible so that you can have good service levels at a reasonable investment level. How did the pandemic affect those issues? Yeah, I mean, I would say like one of the other things that I, I didn't mention in the previous question, just to bring it up because it plays into this is a lot of our products have shelf life, right? So that also adds complexity to it. You have to make sure that the product is fresh. And uh, mm-hmm. we didn't really start seeing an effect until the lockdown started to take place. And once people started working from home and people couldn't go to the labs to do the research, we started to see a drop in demand. So that started to happen around maybe mid-March, April. And uh, we needed to respond very quickly, right? And the, and the question that came to us was, how can we contract so that we're not producing things that are going to expire and that we're going to throw away and consuming raw materials that may be difficult to get as we continue to get into the pandemic, right? while at the same time being able to set ourselves up to be responsive enough once demand begins to pick up. So I'm actually a little surprised to hear that there was a drop in demand. I've read that your cell culture medium was used by Chinese researchers to isolate the coronavirus. And you'd think, you know, once the magnitude of the threat became clear, it was also pretty clear that the um, scientific world's attention was going to have to be laser focused on this thing. Yeah, absolutely. I think that the reason for the drop in demand, if you think about our product lines, like we support all the different tissues in the human body, right? And, and there's such a wide variety of products. And as I mentioned, most of the research that we support is focused on cancer, uh, immunology and cancer. Mm -hmm. So the vaccine-related research is a small piece of the pie. So people not being able to access the lab space and continue doing the research as universities being closed, all these things started to have an impact. So how did you go about reacting to the pandemic and where did DDMRP come in? Yeah, one of the things that we really appreciated about DDMRP was the fact since most of our parts are buffered. So if demand stops, 
by default, DDMRP is not going to be recommending that we continue to make more products. Uh, just to clarify, you're referring to the inventory buffers that are built into Replenishment Plus to help planners see which materials are in demand and make recommendations about where they might need to invest to maintain a smooth flow. Yeah, we weren't at risk of overproducing very quickly. However, there is a lag between the buffers responding to the decreased demand and our current signals to produce. So what we did is we, we introduced some adjustment factors to reduce the size of our buffers in the near term. And we also shortened the ADU horizons to make the buffers more responsive. So once we did that, we lowered our buffers and we started to consume the inventory that we had while having them set to be much more sensitive to changes in demand and keeping a close eye on what they were doing. And then the next step was to do an analysis to our bill of materials and really identify which are the parts that are most critical for our supply chain to have continuity and which of these parts are a potential risk of supply. And how do they relate to their shelf life, right? So there were many materials, as you can imagine, everything that is needed for vaccine experimentation or vaccine production that we're also using was an issue. So personal protective equipment was an issue as well. We have a clean room and that's where we manufacture everything that we make. Right. And we need to have enough because if we don't have PPE, we can't, we can't make any product, right? Right, 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 right. So that it was just sort of like, how do I identify where all the or key raw materials and supplies are for us to be able to have continuity of business? And uh, how do we rank them and prioritize them so that we can invest and then put the proper strategies for those materials? So we yeah. did that and uh, that worked out well. And then uh, demand started to pick up after two or three months and has been picking up steadily since once people started to learn how to work with the, with the virus and stay safe and things are starting to return to normal and uh, we're running the system as we were running it before. Did geography figure into those continuity assessments? I know a lot of companies in life sciences are pretty heavily concentrated in Asia for ingredients and materials. Yeah, we're not as dependent. Uh, I think that they're, 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 you know, we basically draw materials from all over the world. So we, we don't really have a regional concentration for raw materials per se, but mm -hmm. uh, I mean, one of the things, and we've always sort of kept a close eye on this, but the, I think this helped us even sharpen our practice around it even more, which is just a really clear understanding of how the different raw materials at the very base layer of our deep bills of materials uh, correspond to the products that we ship to our customers, right? And how can we get more leverage, how, can, how we can get secondary sources of supply, what other improvements can we make to make our product more stable, more reliable? and uh, less risk of supply chain disruption as well. What about transportation? Was that an issue for you guys? Mm, yeah, not directly. I mean, the, like the, the, big, the biggest issues that we're facing right now are around items that are common to the vaccines. So, for example, buyouts are too hard, too hard to come by, plasticware, bottles, all those things are in high demand. So it's been, they've been harder to get than they normally are. So it's, it's sort of much for us, it's very much looking at what is the stage of the vaccine experimentation? What's the stage of the trials? When may they start manufacturing? How are they distributing them? What are the things that they consume that we consume? And how can we ensure that we have supply of those materials for right. the duration of this? Yeah. Let's go back to the point you made about prioritizing the materials that you need to maintain business continuity. I think there's this idea that the pandemic exposed a flaw in many companies' supply chains, you know, where this relentless push for efficiency and cost efficiency made it hard for uh, organizations to adapt to the disruption. I wonder how you see those trade-offs and whether the pandemic has changed that at all. 
Yeah, I think it's something that we already kept a close eye on. And, you know, our intention has never really been to to run lean on the elements that are critical to our business. And, and I think that's one of the lessons that we've taken to heart from our whole DDMRP strategy. So we've identified the, the key areas of our business and we make sure that they are appropriately stocked so that we can have some resiliency and be reliable, right? There's variability because of shelf life. There's biological variability that can happen. And they're subject to so many sources of variation that we tend to carry a sufficient amount of stock to ensure business continuity. But we don't do it across the board. We're very strategic about where we invest in, in inventory and that, in, in that manner. Have there been any other changes to the way your team operates? One thing that's been, a, I would say, has been a bit of a silver lining is just the fact that we needed to be so attentive to it and be looking at it so closely that it sort of helped us improve our practice in, in the DMRP and be more focused on how we're doing and using it and maintaining the system, right? So more around the discipline of maintaining the model. It's one mm-hmm. of those things that once you get it running steady and stable, it doesn't really need that much attention to keep running well. Mm-hmm. But having said that, it's, it always benefits from attention, right? So the more attention that you pay to it, the more that you look into the details, the more opportunities for improvements that you can find. So I think that this has gotten us into a, a really good rhythm of staying on top of the system and continuously improving it. So how do you structure that process? I mean, you probably already had review cadence. Did you set different goals? Do you revisit it more frequently? I mean, we've always had them, but in the past, they tended to be periodical, as you have mentioned. So every quarter mm-hmm. we look at this and we see which parts are doing well and which parts aren't doing well. And you know, we've always sort of pushed towards saying, well, how can we make it instead of a periodical review where we go and see how are the parts doing and then make adjustments as, as, as necessary, how can we continuously monitor it and use the information available within the systems to be performing adjustments all the time? So right. rather than doing a periodical review, we're continuously monitoring how the different parts are performing. And when their performance gets out of certain ranges, we review them. And there's a certain ser- series of processes that we follow to, to update them. You know, inventory drifting above target, uh, rapid changes to the daily consumption, things of that nature, right? There's there's also things in our business where you could have a, an abnormally large order that comes in. So do you consider that for the ADU or not? L- little details like that or batches that get scrapped and you end up making twice in a row. So how do you take all those events and weed them out so that your consumption rate is uh, correct? Yeah, I mean, you've mentioned elsewhere that one of the things that drew you to DDMRP was the uh, idea of not having to constantly spend time reconciling data and, you know, to have more time doing exactly that kind of analysis. So I wonder if you could maybe pull back for a moment and speak to how DDMRP supports you in that journey. Yeah, for sure. When we had M- when we were running with MRP and we're dependent on a detailed forecast at the finished good level, there's so much error that builds in the forecast when it starts to aggregate into common raw materials. So, you know, and, and, and there's people have different uh, tolerance for risk and they hedge their bets in different ways. So you, you get all these different approaches to forecasting at the top line for different product lines coming from different people with different criteria or different expectations of what their products may or may not do. And a lot of them eventually converge in, in, in common raw materials. So it was there was just so much error built in and it was always hard to reconcile when you had too much or you didn't have enough where the error had come from, right? And the, and the only avenue that we sort of had to to deal with it was to 
try to be more precise with our forecast, but that really wasn't getting us anywhere. So I, I really like the perspective of instead of trying to control all the materials in great detail, identifying the key points of influence within your bill of materials. And that sort of relates to the variability in supply and demand for each of those materials and uh, just your ability to take action to address it, right? So how do you identify those and really manage them well? And that really gives, has given us much better results by, by focusing our efforts where, where we can make a difference. And how long have you guys been using DDMRP and Replenishment Plus? Oh, you know, I'm not, uh, let me think back, when did we implement that? I'm going to say somewhere around maybe 2014, somewhere around there. And are there other lessons that you take from the pandemic, you know, maybe in terms of how your industry should be working or how it's going to have to work in the future? I think one thing that comes to mind is don't overreact, right? Mm-hmm. Like we want to make sure that, and that's again where we really like the idea of of being able to just focus on a few key areas of our supply chain that, that we know determine how adaptive and responsive we can be. So we, we definitely want to be prepared for risk and variability. And that, that is a natural state of our business, whether the pandemic is there or not. So in a way that had us a better position to respond to it. But mm-hmm. we, I think we, we have to be careful of, of not overcorrecting and going too far in the other direction. Right, 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 yeah. right. So, I mean, for, for, for us, the, the, one of the benefits that we see is that globally as a business, there's more alignment and consistency of understanding how, how important it is for us to be responsive from a supply chain perspective. So I think that gives us the ability to, to execute on certain projects and draw corporate resources to, to make sure that we execute to them. So think about things like uh, lead time optimization and reduction on, on our entire bond. How do you start to incorporate these concepts into the product development lifecycle? How can you work with your customers to make them aware of shorter lead times and what benefits that may have for them? So if we can shorten our lead times, we're going to have a more responsive supply chain without having to carry additional inventory. So for us, it just helps us bring focus to the importance of being responsive and how that allows you to not be as exposed to risk. You use SAP to manage your global business. Can you talk about how DDMRP fits into that broader system and what drew you to Replenishment Plus? How does it fit in? I mean, basically, when we implemented SAP, we're definitely committed to being a demand-driven organization and mm-hmm. we work to mature in that direction. So when we brought in SAP for implementation, one of the things that we did, even while we were on the evaluation phase, was which of the different ERPs that we were considering DDMRP functionality or DDMRP in its roadmap. And the fact that SAP had it was one of uh, the factors that made that helped us or steered us in that direction. Mm-hmm. Now, having said that, at the time that we went live with SAP, the solution in SAP wasn't, didn't have the level of functionality for the business processes that we're running mm-hmm. or the maturity that we needed. So we ended up integrating our R plus DDMRP system and our DVR scheduling system with SAP. And currently planning and scheduling take place inside uh, R plus and DVR. Thanks for your time, Juan. And thank you for listening to The Flowcast, a podcast from demand-driven technologies. I'm Leah Hoffman. And be sure to stay tuned for more episodes about building agile, effective supply chains. Available wherever you get podcasts.